about 152 yards. Should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, how we doing, golf fans? Welcome back to the Preferred Lines Podcast. My name is Joe Idoni at Tour Picks on Twitter, here to bring you um, the best gambling golf show on the interwebs. Uh, this is Preferred Lines. If you are new here, welcome in. If you're back, an old friend, uh, hop on over to the YouTube page, say what up, let me know that you're here. Uh, always love to see some, some friendly faces out there in the crowd. Uh, what's going on, Brian? Back in full force. Yes, we took a week off for the Zurich. We're back. I got a little bit of extra added energy in me today. Uh, so excited to sort of get this thing going tonight. As always, um, let me get my ducks in a row here because I got to talk to you about the Fantasy Golf Pod. Talk to the boys. Uh, Chad, Jish, Eric, they got the show coming out tomorrow night. The first look show is already out and live. Uh, make sure to give them a follow at Fantasy Golf Pod for all of the best tweets on Twitter. Heard it here first. Okay. Um, I'm going to bring in a guest right now before we get to the Mexico Open. We'll talk a little bit of what we saw last week. We'll talk about what to look forward to, and we'll put some bets in for this week uh, down below the border there. Uh, welcoming in for the first time on Preferred Lines Podcast, a long time coming. My man is the co-host of the Turn Golf Podcast, uh, Knoxville's very own Andrew Putters on Twitter. Welcome to the show, Andrew Poor. What's going on? What's going on, buddy? Uh, happy to be here. Always uh, try to check your show out when I can. I mean, we, we're we busy, uh, as you just saw, 45 seconds ago, trying to get – four kids up at the upstairs to bed right before we hop on here. So never a dull moment here. So when I can, I try to check out what you got. Listen, I check out what you got too, man. You and Joe got a great thing going on. I know you got Darbo coming on just after this over there at the turn. Um, we're just two, we're just two working dads trying to talk about some golf in the evenings and maybe skip out on a little bedtime every now and then. That, that's right. You know, that's kind of, that's how our show started. Really. It was, you know, Joe and I talked on the phone every Monday morning about what happened the week before, and and that just kind of turned into, hey, let's put it on air, and that's uh, that's how we got started. So it's very cool, man. You guys have a great crowd. You're doing a great thing. So let's let's talk a little bit uh, with me this time about what happened last week. Did you catch much of the Zurich? And if you did, what were your main takeaways from it? Yeah, so I watch a lot on Thursdays and Fridays every week, and. Um, I definitely think I'm a big fan of this, the Zurich Classic with the team event because it's the only one that they have all year that, that that that's like that. But the vibe wasn't there this year for me. I don't know if it was the crowd was down, the weather was suspect early. Yeah. Um, um, but I have a great idea how to fix it. If we're going to have this team competition, put it on Austin Country Club next year uh, where we're making eagles on every hole or you're making eagles and double bogeys on those on, at, at Austin Country Club. That would be a great fit for that tournament. Uh, I don't know. Just the vibe wasn't there for me. I was really hoping to see, you know, the legends of golf. Some of the legends were there. They didn't play well. Uh, some guys that I was pulling for didn't didn't have any action last week at all. I was just I like watching these guys with their friends out playing golf, and it just it was a different it was a different year for me. So. Yeah, totally, man. I'm I'm in full agreement. the The vibe just wasn't there for me from the get go. I don't know. 
you know, I don't want to say it was fatigue, but it was a little bit of fatigue. Like we had been on this run of so many elevated events and getting so excited through the entire West Coast swing. We had the Masters and then follow that up with the Heritage, which was a great finish. And um, it just felt like a good timing spot on the schedule for potentially an off week. And then it happened to be a team event. So uh, for me, I just kind of shut it down. I caught a little bit Sunday of the finish with sort of Riley and Hardy. Happy, obviously, for those guys to get that breakthrough PGA Tour win. That's huge for them, right? Secures the card, gets them a ton of FedEx Cup points, gets them, I believe, in the majority of the majors. So a big push like that for two guys and two young players who I think um, – didn't need it just yet, but I think long-term in their career, they're going to look back on that tournament as sort of a pivotal moment. And it was nice to see it. Um, if a tournament isn't going to mean as much to us, the fans, it was nice to see that it meant a ton to the players that won versus just seeing like Xander and Cantlay stack another team win on their resume. It was nice to see two guys uh, sort of break through that wall there. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, talking about a huge letdown, uh, one thing that we always forget watching on TV every week and, you know, these guys have families, these guys have homes. And up, up until this year, they've got to pick their schedule. They don't really have options this year. The schedule's made out for them. And I, I know for a fact it lays on some of these guys' hearts and minds. And, you know, I mean, Jordan said it last week. He was, I'm tired, but I'm here because I got to be, you know. And uh, Rory pulled out last week. You know, John Rom said he was going just because, how important that tournament is with the Masters champion there last week at Hilton Head. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I feel it, and I don't know if it's because I'm paying so much more uh, attention to it this year because of the elevated events. These guys, like I said, you know, they're away from their homes 50 days straight. And I know other sports travel too, but guess what? Other sports aren't live 48 out of 52 weeks a year. We know that from doing the podcast 48. So, yeah, uh, I mean – Fatigue, homesick, no chance to recharge. It was due for a big letdown. And let's be honest, man, uh, live as quirky or whatever some people might say. And I know you defended it here uh, recently pretty well. Uh, and you have your own opinions on it. But now it was no Phoenix Open, but Live showed out this weekend on, on when it comes to what the content they were able to create. I want to hear your thoughts on it because I want to hear everyone's thoughts on it. And here's where I'm in. I I do. And I hear what you're saying. I get lumped into this niche group of people that are thought to be like defenders of live. Right. And I don't necessarily like that. I don't feel like I am. I feel like I am very critical of it, but I also want to be fair to it at the same point. And I want to, you know, I cover golf. That's what I'm trying to do. And, and I don't do it to make a live. And I do it because I like doing it, right? I do it because it's my favorite absolute hobby in the world to do. And I don't feel like I'm doing a service to the game as a whole if I don't cover it. So I try to be reasonable with it. I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. There are staunch defenders of the PJ Tour. There are staunch defenders of Lib who are unwilling to hear any other side of the argument. And I like to think that the majority is kind of in the middle. And you know what, Andrew? The players are in the middle right now. Rory's in the middle right now. Rom is in the middle. You ask them about it, and their opinions are starting to wane a little bit and be like, you know what? I'm okay with these guys. Like, I'll play practice rounds with these guys. I'll get in a home match at my home course with these guys and play with them. And they're my friends, and they're fellow golfers, and they made a decision that I don't agree with, and I don't agree with it either. 
but I'm still willing to respect the caliber of player that they are. And when they're putting on an event and it looks fun and it looks somewhat exciting and it looks a little bit different, I still respect the competition aspect and the world-class players that I think a lot of them are. And that's kind of my position on it is I want to watch them play. Yeah. So initially, you know, thought live was kind of a joke. We all did. Right. Sure. Uh, I did right, about, right about the time we had uh, Steven up at golf digest on, on the podcast to talk about tournament. Yeah. That was the week that DJ announced. And so then it went from a joke to this might be serious. Um, so then, I, then later on the fall, I had a podcast with a buddy of mine's lawyer. We talked about the legal stuff, them dropping, you know, some of them withdrew membership from the tour. Some of them didn't, some of them were suing, some weren't. So I've kind of been all over the place, but I will say this. Number one, they showed out uh, the elite players on live tour played well in an elite event, the masters. That is not a, there's no yeah. doubt. Right. They played well. They represented the tour. Well, um, I was there Thursday and, or Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, there was a noticeable uh, like PJ guys and live guys. They, they didn't play together in the practice round that okay. I saw. I didn't see any of that interaction. Of course, on Wednesday, there's not a lot of practice round going on. But right. um, my thoughts are on it. I just not that I had my opinion changed on if I like the other one or not. I've been, we've been, me and Joe have been vocally very Joe nicely, my partner that is, have been vocally against a lot of the things that the PJ Tour does overall by controlling its, uh, uh, you know, its players or its members. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're seeing that now, right? With some of them trying wanting to withdraw from a tournament or talking about the schedule, and but I'll say this: uh, nobody can launch a tour and it be successful in the first year. So <laughs> Not- we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't judge that. Just you know what they've done so far and whatever they played eighteen tournaments or or 15, fourteen tournaments now, maybe fifteen, however many it is. But what we can say is that the product is better every time. And I definitely think the majority of the success is going to be outside of the United States. That's not, yeah. a, I mean, it's easy uh, because these guys, I mean, countries around the world are not going to get to see these guys as much. So whenever they go there, it's, it's packed up. That's why I see it. I mean, in the PJ tour, you know, it's kind of shunned Australia, in my opinion, uh, there's not, there's not anything out there West, mm-hmm. you know, well, the CJ cup was in Asia, wasn't it there for a yep. while? until yep. covid so um yeah i think i think Ozo, but yeah it's gonna be huge so i think i think actually pj tour kind of disrupted the australian open and, and kind of basically drove it to the ground so international players i understand and it's gonna be a huge success over there i'm not big on the music blaring the whole time i mean yeah nobody wants a phoenix open every weekend i'm sorry it's just not golf but yeah but but it's an entertaining thing and and you know at the end of the day, we're gonna it's gonna follow the money. If the money's there, then they're gonna have it. If it isn't, it's gonna dry up and be gone. Originally, I said it would last two, three years. And I thought by June or by July this year, we'd have our first player uh, fill out paperwork to try to get readmitted to the PJ Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's the case now. I think they're they're gonna dig their heels in a little farther after this last success. So, yeah, here's their biggest problem and the reason that i think like there's all like the the pro live accounts are all like reposting the thing from rory where he was like dead in the water what's going to kill them in the water is the owgr and if nothing changes there um it's 
it's a joke, right? Let's be honest. Like, you can't have a world ranking system and have Dustin Johnson number 74 and then apply that same world ranking system that puts him at that number at 74, right? And then uh, use that as criteria for the biggest events in your sport. So you can't apply that criteria to major championships long term and have Dustin Johnson, the 74th ranked player. Look, I looked last week and this may have changed over the week, but DJ was 74 and Phil was 75. They are nowhere near the same player. Like I love and I was very um, supportive of, of what Phil was able to accomplish at the Masters. But you put those two players together and have them play every single weekend. DJ is so much better than Phil. So any system that is so convoluted and murky to the point where he's 74 is it it can't be used anymore. It's obsolete. And the fact that it either needs to change or Liv needs to make an adjustment to get their players in it. Because if more and more of these guys, if the Joaquin Neiman's and Taylor Gooch's of the world aren't able and Abe answers aren't able to play in major championships one year from now, they're going to want a way out. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they can do one or two things. Uh, they go all in in their product where it's this team thing, this team aspect, there's going to be ownership for these franchises going forward and signing contracts, just like any other pro sport is in, in say America would be, uh, yeah. or, or they can change the way that they operate their tournaments to fit into the criteria that's there. I don't even know what disqualifies them. Uh, Is it the 54 holes? Is it the uh, 54 players? I don't – whatever that criteria that disqualifies them. Yeah. They they need to fix that to make it to where they can, you know, fit. Yeah, if if they could maintain their – I mean, here's the the other side of the coin. If they were able to maintain their World Golf ranking when they went in, can you imagine those 50 guys playing each other every week and their World ranking just continuing to climb up? It's not fair that way either. So they need to – No, no, no. Yes. To 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 uh to to fit into the to the to the world golf ranking. So. Yeah, they're they're the level of competition week in and week out is far different from the PGA Tour, particularly in elevated events. So to have it be apples to apples with that is not okay. But to have it go from all these points to zero also isn't right because if you're able to get points for Asian Tour events, if you're able to get points for like obscure two-day events or three-day events in Kenya or whatever it may be, then you should be able to get points for three-day events in Australia with Cam and DJ and Brooks. And yeah, I mean, we saw it, right? Three guys in the top four at the major championship. Cam Smith won the Open. Um, DJ is going to be around in majors. Brooks is going to be a factor. He's going to be one of the top five favorites at the U.S. Open. Like, if you're playing an event against those guys, you deserve to be rewarded points if you win. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, though, the depth is just crazy different. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the winning score was this weekend, but I, didn't Taylor Gucci like 62 62? I mean, he did, but then I think he shot barely over par on the last day. So, yeah, it was like, I mean, it was an easy course, man. It was yeah. those, it, they, it was a composite of two courses there in Australia. Um, neither of them are over 6,400 yards from the back tees. So they did the best to take the longest holes from both of them. I think what it was, was it was an event for the fans, right? It was an event for the fans of Australian golf. That was a highly populated area where they knew that they could sell tickets. They knew that they had parking. They knew that they had all these other things and a venue secured where they could build a party. Right. And that's what it was. It was, it was 
somewhat of a golf comp, but it was mostly a party, like carnival type atmosphere. And I get that's not for everybody. Um, and I get they can't do that every week of the year. But, you know, I thought it was uh, to say it wasn't impressive to see the fans, the amount of people that were there and following the event, I think, is is doing a little bit of a disservice and kind of turning a blind eye to what yeah. happened. Two things about the, you know, the viral video that everybody's seeing, the Chase Kepka, you know, getting the hold of one. Two things I thought was hilarious. Number one was the, the, the guy running out to give him a high five and sprained his ankle and then hopped. Yeah, hopped yeah, out. yeah. Hopping, and then, hopping and, out. Yeah, and then, and then the other part was when they peer away, you know, the watering hole. It's only like four rows deep all the way around. We're like, yeah. We're like, you know, the, the, the 17th or the 16th of the Phoenix, whatever. Like oh, that. it's not comparable, but it's yeah. still cool. It, it was, was still cool. cool. It was cool. That's admit. Yeah. Um, okay. So the PGA tour, I want to ask you a little bit about, I want to talk about John Rahm for a second, not even from a betting perspective. I want to talk to you about the, the sort of character and the persona that he's building because, you know, I talked to, um, James Nitty earlier this season and, and we were kind of assessing it and saying the PGA tour lost all its villains, right? We lost all the bad guys. We lost Reed, all the guys you wanted to sort of root against which is good for a sport you need good guys and you need bad guys you need a couple heels and they kind of lost that and I think that the idea for me at the time was Rom fits perfect right he's kind of angry he's a little bit angry out there he's a little bit hot-headed um he's he's sort of this Spanish guy who's built like a bull and he, he's just got this kind of grumpy look about him where he would be a perfect heel and he's really really good which is also important I've, I think everyone's kind of turned the corner on Rom where now, okay, he's the type of guy that is going to show up at the Heritage when he didn't have to show up for the fans of the game, for growing the game, for the betterment of the PGA Tour, and not really himself. He showed up there. He signed all the autographs. He stepped in the booth and was awesome. I don't know if you heard any of him on Pat McAfee's show, but he was so damn likable man this guy mm. is like growing on me and the fact that he comes back to mexico in an event he's not scheduled to be at as defending champion like who's gonna give him any grief for taking a week off and not showing back up here nobody but he's here and he's showing up every week in and week out for the pga tour he's playing awesome he's winning at a rate we haven't seen in a long time i mean how how good is this guy right now yeah, um, you know, Joe Joe was big on getting on rookies early. And I remember we were in our little private uh fantasy ten man uh league. He would he was like, This guy, man, this guy from Arizona is unbelievable. He's unbelievable. They're talking about he's like, you know, he's a top ten player in the world right now. He's a sophomore in college and yada yada. And 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 of course, you know, he is unbelievable. But then you see some of the antics on the course and he was very easy to he was the he was a, he was looked at as a heel. Yeah, and, you know. Then he then he says talks about the course being a putting contest, you know, and yeah, yeah. Like Mary Express last year, not this year, but last year. But then he goes on the foreplay podcast, and you get like an hour or forty five minutes of him just like shooting the bull and talking about meeting his wife as a freshman in college, and you know, and having kids, he don't get a chance to practice as much when he's at home. But you know, like you know, and then he sees his little boy, you know, he's mad, but then he sees his little boy when he gets home from practice, and he just yes. Then he talks about practicing too. He don't have a group. He don't have a crew of people following him. It's like him and his caddy. And like when he's on the range, he's like, yeah, we hit that one pretty good. Let's go. He don't have the track man and the, you know, and the swing coach and the chipping coach, right. and the yoga instructor and the breathing instructor. He don't have any of that. He just goes out there and bare knuckles it. And uh, 
Well, you say he's growing on everybody, I think, that kind of listens and watches. And like you say, he's so likable. But, I mean, let's be honest. uh, He's never – Nagel, he's still enemy number one in Nagel's Bagel's life. So, he's he's going to be a spoiler. (laughs) Joe told me Nagel's is up against a long, dark uh, future if if he's going to continue to pull against uh, the one and only John Rom because the guy ain't look like he's stepping back anytime soon. Yeah, that's gonna be the big the big uh mark for him. When he's able to turn Nagels into like saying something nice about Rom, everybody's on board at that point. If you're if you're here, buddy, uh, I'll talk to you in a few weeks. It was good to talk to you this week a little bit. All right, let let me let me do a quick little course preview, Andrew, of of yeah. the Mexico Open. I'm gonna list off a couple of things that I have. If you have anything to add from what you saw last year, feel free to chime in at the end. We'd love to hear your opinion as well. Um the Dante Badanta Velarta, excuse me, par 71 that is 7,456 yards. It's actually a par 73 resort course, so they turn two of those into par fours for this week. Really kind of stretch it out. Um, it's the sixth longest course on tour. Obviously, it's 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 memory foam throughout, man. It's past Palom. The ball doesn't go anywhere. It sits very soft, so it's at 10 feet of elevation. So that 7,456 plays about as long as the 7,456 that you will see anywhere in the world. Um <clears throat> Greg Norman design golf course, um, which basically doesn't mean a whole lot, just kind of means a shitload of bunkers in this instance, 106 of them, which is the third most of any course on tour. A lot of them, but they ain't very hard. Um, they're not really, there's not a whole lot of complexity to them. If you're in one of them around the greens, you're, you should be getting up and down as a professional player. Uh, larger than average fairways, larger than average greens, easy to putt, medium speed, like I mentioned, past Palom. Um, the wide fairways give guys the opportunity to pretty much just hammer driver off the tee here. Rom talked about it last year, how he's just going to hit driver everywhere. I think the majority of the players on the leaderboard did so as well. Um, unique thing here I saw from PGA splits, the average distance of your approach shot last year in 2022 was 202 yards at this course, which is the highest on the PGA tour. So your average approach over 18 holes is over 200 yards. Um, that's kind of wild to think about and is very uncommon. You're going to hit less shots this week um, from the following yardage. It's 75 to 100, 100 to 125, 125 to 150, 150 to 175. You're going to hit much more of those longer clubs from 175 to 250. 80% of your approach shots this week are going to come from over 150 yards. Um, good long iron play is key. Those are kind of what my notes from last year on the course. What Do you, you got anything to add there or what do you see? No, I mean, the only thing that I really that stuck out for me is, you know, if you just look at last year's leaderboard, uh, I'll pull it up right now. Um, it's it's guys that hit their long irons well, like just what you just said. Uh, uh, ball striker number one, John Rom, Tony Fina, Kurt Kitayama, Brandon Wood, Davis Riley, Cameron Champ, Lipsky, San, uh, Alex Smalley, and Aaron Wise, Patrick Rogers. That, that fillets out the top ten. Nearly all those guys hit the driver a long way. Mm-hmm. And nearly all those guys are excellent long iron players. Correct. And, you know, I mean, Finau, mediocre putter. Uh, that Cameron Champ, mediocre putter. Smiley, mediocre putter. Aaron Wise, highly mediocre putter. So, yep. I mean, you just get like hot on on, uh, on a week or a weekend, make a few, you know, 20, 30 footers. And, uh, I mean, would it be surprising at all if you found out that, you know, Tony Finau hit like 68 greens in regulation this week. Probably not. Yeah. So that's that's what you got to look at. You know, great long iron players. 170 or you know 170, 175, 150 and above. That's 
I saw that without you even telling me those stats. So, yep. All right, let's kick it over to the betting board. Been a long time, Mister Putters, but we have John Rom sub three to one. Um, wild scene here for the Mexico Open is plus two seventy five is the best number on the odds board that you can get on Rom. Next best is Tony Finau plus eight fifty over at FanDuel. Then you jump up to Wyndham Clark at nineteen to one. Gary Woodland twenty eight to one. That's actually a pretty favorable number based on what I've seen in some other spots recently. And then I'll stop at Hogard at 30 to 1. He's plummeted a little bit as well. Uh, let's just start with Rom. At what number would you consider betting John Rom? I mean, you know, so I run a couple of models every week. Uh, one is based on stroke scan and one is based on actual numbers. And, you know, uh, unfortunately it came out to like three and a half to one, but I, there's no way. I mean, I feel like this week, honestly, you're either going to like make one bet. It's going to be on John Rom, or you're going to scratch him off, and you're going to make several little ones over here on the guys going down the board. So that's your two options of playing this week. I mean, I don't think you if you're, you know, a value person, I guess. I mean, you got to say four to one's a good number, but you ain't going to find that anywhere. I don't think. Uh, maybe hoping he shoots like seventy to open around, you can get him at like six to one, maybe. I don't know, you know, and, and, and that, that would be your only way. But I, I just don't see that that this profitable at all, even looking at John Rom, even though he's an odds-on favorite. I know, and I, I don't – I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Okay. I'm going to go through his last 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 worldwide events. 1, 2, three, four, five, six wins. So six out of 14 that he's played in last, he has won. Um, he also has a withdraw in there. So call it six out of 13. The dude is damn near winning half the time. He tees it up, man. And a lot of these are much stronger fields that he's going to face this week coming back to a spot where he's defending champion. I mean, if you ever, if there was ever a spot where I would consider plus 275, this would be it. That's not quite enough for me. I'd love to see three and a half or four to one. And I would honestly consider it. I don't think it's a terrible bet, even at 275. Like if you were someone who is not looking to seven to 10 X, your, 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 what am I trying to say? Your budget each week, whatever you put into it, whatever your bankroll is, if you don't want to roll over 10 X and you just want to slowly build a portfolio this ain't that bad of a bet, man. He's doing it almost everywhere. It's at a course that sets up to his strengths. Like he said it himself on the coverage. He's got a problem. He's got an addiction and it's golf. He can't get enough of it. This isn't a guy I can imagine that totally turns his brain off after winning the Masters. I'm sure he had a fun couple of days back there in Arizona, but uh, he's right back at it. Like I, I'm not here for the 275. Maybe we'll see like an odds boost tomorrow, but I know that those are limited on how much you can put down. So I don't know that that's worth it. But I don't think Tony Finau is worth it at eight to one with John Rom in the field. I don't. I'd rather have Rom honestly than any of these other guys. I haven't bet any of them yet. But if for me, if I had to pick one, um, it'd be Rom. Yeah, and. <clears throat> you know, in saying that, you know, up until like Tory, whenever Rom won against in the U.S. Open, 
most of his success had been against weaker fields, right? And, you know, that's what they're coming down here last week. Last year, whenever he won this, it was almost – I remember Nagel's yelling it. He's gonna win this week. He's gonna win, you know. Just, <laughs> just go and, you know, mark it up or whatever, you know. I don't even know why anybody's even talking about it. So yeah, I, um, I, I don't disagree. I just have a hard time personally doing it. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm not going to do it either. Um, so I, I'm just more likely. I'm like, let me just take some shots. Like if I was honestly. I write a piece for tour junkies uh, called the chalk bomb every week. I, I contribute on that, not solely on me, but I'm, am a contributor. Uh, I'm crazy enough to consider like just fading John Rom this week. If I'm doing DFS and just hoping and praying that it's not all there. Right. And if he finishes 13th at whatever 30% owned or whatever crazy number he's going to be, and you can find the winner, you might be able to get a little bit of leverage, but I'm okay. Just like taking a couple stabs further down the odds board. I'm going to go to sort of the next range here. You've got Patrick Rogers, 33 to one Benny on 35, uh, Bo Hostler, 45, Norm, 47, McNeely, 47, Pendrith is 50. Those are all the rest of the guys sub 50 to one. I know maybe kind of hard to see if you're with us on YouTube, uh, but what do you like in there, if anyone? Yeah, I mean, that range there, uh, you know, uh, if we're talking, if we're talking about, okay, Bo Hostler hits it everywhere. So if he get hot with the putter, he's actually plus EV at, if you can get him at uh, anything over 40 to one. So, like that a lot, um, but we're talking winners. I mean, he hasn't done it yet on the PJ Tour. I don't know how old he is, maybe 35, 34. But Steven Yeager's a winner. Uh, you know, he's done it everywhere he's ever played. He's at 45 to 1 on uh, uh, William Hill, which is uh, going to be across a lot of other different yep. uh, different places you can get him at. I mean, it's a lot lower other places, but there he's at 45 to 1, 45 to 1. If you can get that number, he's a winner. Uh, he just hasn't done it yet on the PJ Tour. Um, I think won several times on the nation on the uh, Corn Ferry. Um, that would be my guy. And you know, there's been a lot of talk, but his odds have been hit for some reason this week. But Ben On is uh, is taking the game a lot more serious this year. You know, you want to say Wyndham Clark, you want to say Gary Woodland, but how many times have we said it and it never happened? So, right. So, so I, I would say Jaeger Hostler is it would be two guys I would be sprinkling. And, uh, yeah, but there's a lot more attractive. I got a couple more and more attractive ones on down with some bigger odds. All right, so I'm looking now. Let me just see here. Give me just a moment. Um, so I was interested in a couple of guys. I was interested in Taylor Pendrith. Um, for a number of reasons. I know the finishes have been hit or miss, but I do think this is a course that sets up to a strength. He is not a very good wedge player. So any course that has one out of every five shots under 150 yards, it's very rare. I think it's actually a good and a beneficial spot for his skill set in sort of mitigating one of his weaknesses that comes less into play. Um, the other one I thought about was, Maverick McNeely, I mean, he's playing awful, dude, but this is kind of a wild number on McNeely um, based on this field at 47 to one over on Fandle. Feels big. I ended up ultimately passing on on both of them for the time being. The full card, if you're with us now, will be out on Wednesday, as I always tweeted out. Um, but 
I'm going to go down and go ahead and skip for myself into this next range. And my first couple of guys off the board come right here. Um, Will Gordon, Brandon Wu. Okay, here are my cases. Willie G, like if you rule out essentially the big three, which I'm calling in this event, which would be Rom, Finau, Woodland, because Woodland's playing fantastic, um, who are elite with their irons, long iron players. Like you had mentioned is very important, over 175 yards. You rule out those three. Willie Gordon's probably the next best long iron player in the field, in my opinion. Um, his inability to translate like pretty solid approach play and iron play into tangible results is disconcerting for me because I do feel like he's playing better than his results would indicate. Uh, he's won, he's gained strokes on approach in six of his last seven. He's a pretty good ball striker. The last three months, like I mentioned, almost all positive approach numbers, like 1.8 per, per round. And he's 12th in driving distance, so he can hit it a far away. Loses a ton. Like, everything that he gains with his irons, he essentially loses back around the greens. This is, like, so easy around the greens that I think I could get up and down here. Like, it's past Palom. The bunkers are no problem. You're, the greens are huge. I don't think it's going to really be a separating factor uh, for, for Will Gordon this week. I believe I got a 65 to one. There are some bigger numbers out there. And then Brandon Wu, I took 70 to one. I love, love Brandon Wu all year. I've had him on my season long team and consistently just throw him out there. And the guy puts up points, uh, T2 last year, obviously people are going to point to, uh, but he's been pretty solid on past pound throughout his young career in the last 24 rounds. He's averaged 1.8 strokes gained per round on the field on all past Palum courses. Um, the current form checks out as well. He's got sort of, you know, top tens in ball striking numbers over the last eight events, three top 20s, including a second place there at Pebble Beach earlier this season. His biggest weakness is the putter, right? He bleeds strokes putting. You had brought it up that some of these guys that aren't normally good putters, um, you can kind of expect potentially a reversal on this type of surfaces on greens that aren't difficult to read on greens that aren't overly fast and are past Palum, which is the only surface of all the greens that he actually gains strokes putting is past Palum. Wu Gordon. Those are my two boys in this range. Do you see anybody that you like? Yeah. Um, I like Brandon Wu a lot. Um, he has some success at the 175 and above uh, on our podcast. We're in the never Gordon stage of, of life. And, <laughs> That is that uh, we have thought Will Gordon is going to be a superstar ever since he uh, left the University of Vanderbilt. And uh, I think he had a T3 real early on in his career. And and uh, Joe went on to roster him like weeks, Every and week. weeks and 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 just got a guy, like you said, I mean, he could literally be top 10 in the, in, in, in the field in ball striking for the week and miss the cut. Which was pretty pretty wild. Um, one one name you also mentioned is the Maverick McNeely. Usually, yeah, like literally a cheat code up until uh, last summer was in a weaker field like this. He was auto click, like almost automatic top ten, almost automatic, and at least had a shot at first round leader every time. I think he's been dealing with some injuries, maybe some personal stuff. I don't, I don't. But he like yeah. dating uh, the the girl from uh, South Korea there for a while. They broke up or something, but then I think he has an injury as well that's been lingering. But he has he has showed a little sign of life there early on this year, and then it's been back away. 
But love Brandon Wu. Obviously tied second last year. It makes you want to just – it's like a magnet pulling you back in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know. Right. And he's been solid, man, especially in the DFS because you've been able to get him in the low sixes yeah. uh, week in, week out. Uh, for me oh, in this range, Joseph Bramlett. Okay. Uh, uh, he's top 10 to 200 plus uh, strokes game. He's also uh, like maybe like top 30 and 175, I believe. So, you know, that, uh, see, let me make, I don't want to tell you a bad number, but I think he's top 10 and one and top 30 in the other. So, yeah, 11th. Let me make sure before I give you a bad number. Where'd he go? Top 15 in driving distance as well. Yeah, yeah. And plus, you know, the guy makes a ton of birdies, right? He's probably like top yeah. 10 birdies made. So I, I like that guy a lot. And uh, he is, um, he makes a ton of birdies. He makes a lot of sense. 60 to 1. You know, this, you know, once you get up in that range, we're talking about, uh, you know, it's a lotto pick, right? So that's, that's my guy in that range. Okay. The other one I want to talk about is Matt Wallace. Um, 70 to 1. Obviously, just one Corrales. Um, there's this notion in golf that, you know, once a guy wins, they can't win again. I don't necessarily subscribe to it because Maddie's making birdies, man. Second in the field and birdies are better gained, which you just mentioned over his last eight events. I had a T seven at the Valspar as well. In addition to the win at Corrales, um, the approach numbers are trending, but really he sort of figured it out off the tee with the driver, which was insanely wild for the longest time he's honed that in and been able to gain strokes off the tee and and, and utilizing that as a weapon and i think that this is a place with the wide fairways that he can sort of swing freely and take advantage of some of the other aspects of his game that have been headed in the right direction like the iron play like the putter um i think getting a guy 70 to 1 who's just won on sort of a similar um, Central America type setup, I don't think is the worst bet in the world, although I haven't done it quite yet, but I wanted to make sure that I mentioned his name uh, sort of in this range as well. Yeah, Matt Wallace, uh, you know, yeah. most people know him as the guy that got into it with his caddy on Twitter. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think he's another player just very similar to Will Gordon uh, that we've kind of been waiting just to, like, take over, right, and just dominate uh, on the world stage. And, uh, you know, just won recently, but uh, he's got a lot of game. That's for sure. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've seen him play quite a bit. You know, uh, us, us degenerates watch a lot of the ESPN Plus at 730 in the morning. And uh, he's got some serious game, there ain't no doubt. Listen, Mr. Nicely, if you're watching the show, don't bail on Willie Gordon too quickly. Don't subscribe. <laughs> if you're on Team Gordon, I don't want you off there too quickly. I'm trying to see what does he have, like Corn Ferry Tour Championship, Fortinet in September of 2022. The Fortinet Championship was his first PGA Tour start. Is that right? No. Tell me, tell me about Will Gordon. Yeah, I got him up on Fantasy National right now. Okay, so he had some PGA Tour starts. You're yeah, he, he had, like, coming out of college, he, like, before the PGA University, they give it, like, eight starts, and he finished, like, top three, like, the first one that missed seven. Yeah, Travelers of 2020. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. and then it was, like, exclusive. Then he had some mediocre starts, and it yeah. was exclusively through the Corn Ferry, basically the beginning yeah. of last year through the summer. 
Yeah, and and that, the painful part about it was like he would shoot like 43 on nine holes and like miss the cut by two. That was the, the yeah, there's been a couple of tough ones in there. <laughs> uh, worldwide technology, why do I always forget that one? That's um, that's the one they just moved, Mayakoba. Yeah, same third same. there. I don't know. I'm just looking, I'm just grasping at straws here, buddy. Let's move to the long shot range. Um, 101 and above. Let's talk some bombs. Tell me if you got any here. Um, because I got two. Do you have any guys 101 and above that you like? Oh, I got one that just make my co-host want to just throw up right now. Lucas Glover, 150, 160 to one. Golf course is perfect for him. Yeah, I can't put a lick, so this is perfect. He probably he'll probably hit 70 greens this week. Uh Lucas Glover's one. I got another bomb for you here. Let me print. Who else you got? Uh, oh, yeah. Let's see here. Wesley Bryan. Oh, man. Wesley B? 500 to one on Bovada. Is that oh, right? Wow. He's, make, he's making a comeback. He's healthy. His brother is defending him harshly on Twitter. Uh, Good. George? Yeah, whatever the what are they, the the Brian boys, whatever they Brian Bros, whatever. Did they, they just buy, did they buy a course or something like yeah, they that? They bought a club somewhere. They bought it like a public course somewhere in South Carolina. They're trying to get yeah, but you can get him eight hundred to one. It was like, jeez, right, is it? It can't be right. That might be right. Let me see on. Let me pull it up here on uh, Odds Checker. See what they got for the best number on Brian. Wesley Bryan, I got to keep scrolling for quite a while for our boy. <laughs> I got him eight hundred to one on DraftKings. That that surely that isn't right. Eight hundred to one. Wesley Bryan is a thousand to one on some books. Okay, we're taking that. Yeah, yeah. Like two bucks for two grand. We can make that happen for Wesley Bryant. All right, here's my two guys. Um, I had him at 150 earlier. It looks like 125 now. Um, I'm going to be a sucker and put a couple shekels on Vincent Norman. Um, big hitting sweet, top 20 in driving distance, birdie or better gained, and approach shots from 200 plus in terms of proximity to the hole. Those three categories i'm looking at heavily this week all three of them he rated out well in all three um 21st in puerto rico earlier this year 16th in corrales both within the last uh seven weeks or so here so two solid uh those are his two best pga tour finishes in puerto rico and corrales i'm okay taking him 150 to one in mexico and seeing what he's got here and the other one in 180 to one was augusto nunez um just a play here on a guy that I think had an unbelievable summer last year on the Corn Ferry Tour. He had like four top five finishes on the Corn Ferry Tour within like a six start span. Um, he was awesome there. It's more so just a play on um, hoping for some familiarity with past Palom, hoping for some familiarity here in Central America and these type of courses and basically the style and agriculture of the, the course layouts that exist sort of in this region. Uh, 26th at Corrales, 15th at Puerto Rico. And like I mentioned, that super solid summer last year on the Corn Ferry Tour, which he had like, I think, two seconds a third and a fifth in a few starts so the dude's got some game we'll see if he can find it this week he was like 180 to one i believe um but those are sort of my two 
bombs. What do you think? I like it. There's uh, there's six players in this field that are top 20 and 175 to 200 and top 20 and 200 plus. John Rahm, uh, Chez Reeve, uh Davis Riley, Kevin Roy, Grayson Murray, and Augusto Nunez. Uh, there he is. Augusto Nunez, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in and do a little research on him. But, yeah, that uh, first guy that you mentioned might be a little problem for Augusto Nunez this well, week. He's, you know what? John Rahm just so happens to be number one in both of those categories. He's, <laughs> dude, he, I read a bottle and it's yeah. insane. Yeah, so he's uh yeah, he's ninth in proximity overall, and he's 121st in the field at 100 to 125. And he's still in the top 10 overall. So I was looking at like I basically sorted the three range like all the ranges available from 150 yeah. to 200 plus. Rom from 150 to 175 is sixth in the field. 175 to 200 is first. 200 plus is second. Like, unbelievable. Like, he basically hits everything. He's basically a top six player of the field from anything from, like, a nine iron to a hybrid. Um, He does it with every single club in the bag. He's unbelievable. Yeah. You know what was so impressive about the Masters win to me was late coming down Sunday on, like, the last six holes. He hit a perfect shot to right where he was aiming every time. It, you know, he's trying to hit it 30 feet, and he hit it to 30 feet perfectly. Dude, it was so yeah. freaking good. He has – but he also, dude, he has that about him, but he also has, like, some, like, Sevy-like escapability to, like, oh, yeah. get out of jail. Like, I remember there was one shot he hit because I had Homa. Where was it? At Riviera right where he looked like he was absolutely dead and he stuck it and he had that one where he was kind of in the trees and bent it low around and put it to three feet yeah 14 that shot was sick the shot the 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 up and down for par on 18 was so nasty like that little flop shot like it takes how many like you're really what's your handicap uh probably like a one you think you get that up and down how many times out of ten? From I mean, where I, I was sitting there telling everybody I was sitting, there, like he's got to fly this to the to the hill and let it come back. That's what I was yeah. saying. Got to fly that because I mean you can't risk chunking or you know leaving short. But he hit it like in a one foot circle. It was yeah. so what uh, you playing in any tournaments coming up? You I got, you, you I got run? First, yeah, I got my first tournament coming up this weekend. Green uh, Green Medal Invitational. Uh, it's the original uh, planes, trains, and automobiles course in East Tennessee. You know, it's, we're right next to the airport. It's got a train track goes down one side, main highway down another. Uh, it's it's a shorter course, I, and I hadn't played it since I was 16 years old. Uh, so I went out there today and played it and shot about 80 or something. So uh, it's kind of short, and they've cut down a ton of trees. So it's just like any place else, though. Keep the driver in front of you, survive the par threes, and attack the par fives, and I'll be fine. So, but. You know, I'm trying to play a little bit more competitively this year than I have in the past. I, I do a lot of like scrambles and yeah, and yeah, stuff like that. But uh, you know, I try to take it a little bit more serious. And I, I mean, because watching these guys, you know, like I said, we're me and you are junkies, right? We're watching at 7:30. We're I've got my alarm set for for when ESPN Plus coverage starts. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, watching it so much just gets you so hopped up. I, I'm actually trying to. I'm trying to decide. I'm definitely going to the tour championship again this year. Might go to Greensboro because they play there this year in the playoffs. But yeah, because Atlanta's three and a half for me. Yeah, uh, Greensboro's maybe four. So 
Uh, probably good. Have you ever it. tried to like qualify, like do the U.S. Open qualifiers um, or anything? I tried one time. See, here's the thing: is with four kids, I mean, you know how hard it is with two. Oh right? my god! So I've got four. So I, I, so I was a really good. I was a pretty good local junior golfer. Got to college and kind of let that. You know, my love for the game was not there like it should have been, and yeah. Uh, you know, and then as I've gotten older, I've actually gotten a little bit better, but I don't put the practice into it. And the practice, you know, I, I mean, if you, me. if you literally went out and played golf with me, you'd be like, man, this guy's really good. But then, how's he shoot 78? Yeah, you know, I don't, you know, like today, I, you know, I don't, it's not necessarily that I'm a bad chipper, a bad putter, about, I mean, iron is probably my, my strength and actually hit the driver is my straightest club in the bag. So it's kind of weird, but I just don't play enough to, like Tiger used to say, I hate to use it, and I'm not comparing Tiger, but the reps is such an important – the tournament reps are so important, you know. Yeah. But, but yeah, I was I was not – you know, sit here and toot my horn saying how good I was or good I am. But, you know, You're I, scratched, hit, I bro. hit the shots. I just can't, uh, you know, put 18 holes together. Like last year, I played in this uh, tournament and um, hadn't played in like a, three months. So, tee off on the first hole, kind of like – push a little bit in the high grass, lose the ball, shank one, you know, top one, kind of top hook one in the – I'm like seven over after three holes. So I get <laughs> like four over, and then duck hook one out of bounds and end up shooting like 81 or something. Well, I come out the next day, I'm like four under through 12, you know, and then uh, make a triple, end up shooting 71 or two. 70, 70, I shot 70. So I shoot 81, 70 in the invitational event. They were about ready to string me up, you know. So I, it's, I have a hard time of like putting, you know, a lot of holes together just because I don't play a lot. If I had the, uh, if I had the preferred lines invitational, a, a tournament strictly of guests on this show, you might be plus 275 to take that thing down. <laughs> I don't know that that guy you had on the other day, that, that, uh, Australian guy, I think he's probably, oh, good. yeah, I forgot about Nitties. Nitties <laughs> would probably take it down. He's, he's got tournament reps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'll tell you the story about the U.S. Open. Tried to qualify yeah. one time ever. Hadn't played golf in six months. You get out there, stripe show, you know. Think Matt just like hit like every fairway, uh, missed like one green, had thirty six putts and shot one over. Oh no! But it's just what it is, you know. Think Stallings went out and shot like sixty four that day and was a low man. Seventy one got in. I shot seventy two or three. Can't remember. But yeah, it was. Uh, we got some good golfers in Knoxville, man. Yeah, man. We got some, I mean, we got some studs. Uh, this Ryan Hall kid from South Carolina, uh, David Shore, who's the number one, number two junior in the world. He was, he led that Alabama team that lost in the finals to Texas. We had Lee Hodges and Davis Riley and those guys on it. He was, he was their best player as a freshman. Uh, and then we got, of course, that Caleb Surratt at UT is unbelievable. I was really hoping. Man, we played Tennessee played Vanderbilt in the SEC match play, and I was really hoping Surgeon and uh, Surratt oh, got yeah. matched up in the match play, but they didn't, unfortunately. But yeah, so that would be cool, dude. Well, listen, uh, you were kind enough to send me some Masters gear. That was freaking really cool of you, um, and it was great to talk to you on the show, man. I appreciate you having you on. I know you got a jet and and get to the turn. Everyone, go check that out. Um, follow him on Twitter at Andrew Putters. You will find the link to that show there. Um, awesome to talk to you, brother. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, appreciate you. Anytime, Joe, you want to come on or, hey, you want to just talk golf and uh, whatever. But I appreciate it, man. Good luck. Go shoot five under this weekend. <laughs> no kidding.
See you, man. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Great to talk to Andrew, as always. I appreciate you guys for hanging around here. Um, listen, let's do a quick final thoughts, and, and we'll wrap the show up. Uh, full disclosure, I had originally thought about doing a little monologue here on Olive Adelaide, um, but I got frustrated, man. I got frustrated with Twitter yesterday. Um, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of, in general, I think, people willing to sort of hear sides of the argument. Um, so I'm going to not do that. Um, I feel like I am part of the majority who are, are watching it silently and watching a little bit of it at a time. I'm not tuning in for six straight hours. Like I do a PJ tour event, but, um, I enjoy the highlights. I enjoyed waking up in the morning and seeing some of the stuff that happened and the shoeys and all of that's fun. It can't happen every week, but I think it was fun and, and an event that was deserves some recognition. That's all I was trying to say. Um, it is what it is. Um, instead, I'm just going to take this moment to promote the new website, preferredlinesgolf.com. Preferredlinesgolf.com. Um, you should go check that out. Um, I built a website myself. No experience. First website I've ever built. Um, and right now, it's pretty much acting as just a hub to um, hold all my contacts content the videos are on there the podcasts are on there some blog posts are on there i work really hard on creating it um if you go onto the website and you hit subscribe up there at some point um that's going to be beneficial for you i'm going to have sort of some exclusive stuff i am going to have um early access and discounts for any sort of preferred lines merch that we drop um so would appreciate just doing that in support of the website if you enjoy this show go check that out um like I mentioned, I, I created it myself. It's just a way. Look, so many people ask me, like when I talk to people on the golf course or whatever, and I tell them what I do, the first question they ask me is like, what's your website? And I never had one until now. Preferredlinesgolf.com. Please go do that. Thank you again for checking out the show. Make sure to give it a like. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to this channel. That would mean a ton for me. Thank you for checking out Preferred Lines on behalf of myself and all the PL employees that surround me that were not fired today. Still on board. Cheers. Good luck this week. And I will talk to you all next week with another great show lined up. I'm out of here. Peace. Mm-hmm.